Lovely. Thank you all so much for singing this morning. It's a wonderful sound to hear the congregation sing out loud together. I love that. It's by design. You notice the, the platform, what's happening on the stage is not so loud that you can't hear yourself. That's by design because there's nothing quite like the sound of the saints of all ages and stages lifting their voices in song. Just before I begin the message text this morning, uh, by way of a, a sneak announcement, yeah, you see what I'm doing there. I didn't want to front load you everything. Normally, let's see who knows. Pastor D, your kids, I say your kids, the children's churchers. Normally, we have children's church on the second and fourth Sunday, okay? We're going to tweak that. So, we're going to have the children's church this last Sunday. It'll be on the final Sunday of the month, right? Why? Because next week, next week, can you believe it's July? But next week, we're having a combined service with our Hispanic church. They're going to host, a, you're like, where are they going to sit? I know, right? I love it. It's a good problem to have. Um, <clears throat> you all like sitting close to the back anyway. They'll have plenty of room up front, except for the almonds. Thank y'all. Love y'all. So um, listen, we're going to do a joint service, so I'm going to ask you to, to just carpool if you can, park in the back. The service will be in English predominantly. I'll preach. It'll be translated. It'll be at our service time, 10 a.m. We're not starting joint services every Sunday. This is one special thing. We'd like to do one a year if possible. This is kind of a test run of that. They're going to celebrate the kids that were in VBS. The kids that were in VBS are going to sing the songs they learned this week for us in worship. So it's going to be a fun time together. So I'm looking forward to it, and um, it's going to be a blast. So make your plans. Don't be anywhere else this coming Sunday. If just for the sheer enjoyment of watching your pastor struggle with an interpreter. Yeah, that'd be fun to do. So thank you so much. Pray for me and pray for them this week as they launch into that. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 19 this morning. Of course, no shock, that's where we're going to be. If you want to follow along online, I've got the notes loaded for you on the Bible app. If you just go to the events tab, you can see and follow along with the notes there. Our church family knows it's also in our church app. They're right there. I've entitled the message, Our God Speaks. Our God is a speaking God. Maybe a better title would be, Our God Has Spoken. But the psalmist here is reflecting on the revelation of God that he sees around. David is pointing us to the huge brushstrokes that God is using, to the fine point that God is using, and the impact that it has on its life. Now, don't get up and leave, but I've just kind of snuck you the whole outline of the message right there. So we're not done yet, but that's kind of where I'm going with it. If you study an artist, they quickly develop their own signature style, their own personality in translating whatever's in their mind to the canvas. And, and their work becomes distinct. You, you can start looking if you're of that ilk, and my wife and my oldest son, Chase, are of that ilk. They're incredibly gifted artistically. And, and as artists, they, you can start to see their style emerge. My wife does beautiful things with watercolors and and Chase uses all kinds of mediums. And, and there are artists here. I love seeing Beverly's work and, and so many others. The Odoms, oh man, wow. So we've got some artists. And if I didn't say your name, insert your name here, your stuff's amazing. Wow, just haven't seen it yet. 
But, but these artists that get well-known, you've got folks that study them and follow them, and they'll, they'll look at their work, and they'll say, now this, you can tell, this is from when they were young, and they were experimenting with this. And then they move through the gallery, and, and they look at this work, and they say, now this is when she was in Madrid, and she had a certain style she used when she was in Madrid. It just looked a certain way. It had a certain feel. <clears throat> David is walking us through this kind of assessment of the canvas. We're looking at this incredible canvas that God used big brush strokes on with the skies and this finer brush points with the scriptures and then the impact that it has on the observer. Let's look at the three textures this morning under the first header, if you'll join me, the skies. The skies speak with a sweeping voice. I'll unpack a theological term in a moment called general revelation. So just put a marker, a little bookmark in your head. Make sure I come back to that. But the very first verse of Psalm 19, we use it as a call to worship before. We love this on beautiful mornings. It's where our mind goes when we see a breathtaking sunrise or or a breathtaking sunset. The heavens declare the glory of God. We don't often say that when the dark clouds are coming in and the storms like we got hit with in Concord yesterday. I don't know if any of you got it, but wow, there was rain like doing this out my window, I'm pretty sure. I didn't know if uh, I needed to get a little dog and get ready to head to Oz. But um, that was not the case. We don't usually say, oh, look, the heavens declare the glory of God. But even the thunderstorms and the weather systems are spectacular to view. Devastating at times, of course, but they're spectacular. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. Wow. Have you just had a wow moment? You won't have a wow moment if this is your life. Watch me. Uh, I don't know if the cameraman's following wide angle here, but if this is your life, you're going to miss some wow moments, right? Somebody says to me, go, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to miss a lot of God's handiwork if your neck's down. I hope one of my kids will go into chiropractic care. I'm convinced there's going to be a people that need a chiropractor in the coming 10 years. Get your head out of your phone and look around at the beauty of God's creation, and behold the wonder and majesty. Now, I know I'm the guy that tells you to stay off all the news feeds all the time. If your static noise at your house is a news channel on, find a different channel, right? Your brain needs to rest. Your soul needs to rest. And you may need medicine, right? Because that's, that's not fun to listen to. But I do hope that you picked up on a recent news story that's come out as the James Webb Space Telescope has recently brought into view uh, pictures that we couldn't have even imagined before. Um, Now, I want to apologize for those of you in the room. One of the beautiful things about this church is the natural light that comes in. It is breathtaking at times. I promise I'm not always this tint of green. It's just kind of what the windows do. But but it does make images kind of hard to see at times. So I, I tried my best to pick the best ones. They'll look great online. So if you get a chance to watch it later. This is the Carina Nebula that was recently brought into view. This is a landscape, it looks like, of mountains and ranges and valleys, but that's actually gas that's on the front side of a new formation uh, of a star, a young star forming in the Carina Nebula. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, that's glorious. I, that looks like a screensaver I've had in the past, but I'm, that's a new picture. That's the real deal. That's not an artist rendering. This next one is um, S- Stephen's Quintet. 
Now, um, this one will be my wife's favorite, not because of the artistic nature of it necessarily, but because you've seen this before. This was in It's a Wonderful Life. This, these were the angels talking, but it was the Hubble image of this, which was blurred and hard to see. This image right here is actually, now I know your phone is awesome, but this is 150 million pixels that it took to create this, not this one on the screen, right? It would still be loading. We're, our stuff's not that good. But 150 million pixels on this image, and uh, it would take up the size of um, one-fifth of the moon's diameter, uh, just the image would if it were laid out properly in all of its rich detail. The last one here is uh, the Southern Ring Nebula. Two images of it in different exposures. Looks kind of like a cell on that screen, like a blob on that one, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> there's a dim star right in the middle. Like you see that bright dot in the middle? I don't know if you can see it. But the dim star in the middle that's just off to the side. Again, look at it online. Go pull them up. But uh, the dim star is the one that's putting off all that gaseous uh, debris around it, making those beautiful colors. It's been doing that for a long time. I love stuff like this. I geek out over some of this. Am I the only one? No? Good. In good company. Why? Why do I geek out over stuff like this? Because I love when the science catches up to where God's already been. I like when we discover reality and see it as it was. Darwin couldn't discover reality. He didn't have the microscope to see the cell. If it would have, it would have refuted his theory of evolution, which has been soundly refuted as only a theory. Darwin even said, even without a microscope, looking at the complexity of the human eye, he said that there's no accounting for this in anything I've written. So he refuted himself. It's a self-defeating ideology to think that we can factor God out of the equation. No, David is saying, take a look up and behold the wonder of the skies. Look at verse 2 there in your text. There are two words used. There's the word speech and knowledge. Day has speech to it and night has knowledge. What in the world is he talking about? Now, I know you may walk outside and hear things. You certainly hear things in the city. Uh, bless uh, Christy and, and Sally and uh, Michelle and, and our little hearts when we're here. We hear all kinds of things all day long at this office with construction and right here on South Boulevard. There are a myriad of things. Sometimes we hear conversations, wonder where they're coming from. They're just outside the building, loud talkers, right? So the, the day and night aren't necessarily saying words, little ones that we can hear, but they're saying something. That word speech there is the word omer. It's a, it's a word that means there's a news report happening. There's something that matters that requires our attention. It's such an interesting word to use when you're talking about the daytime. The word there for uh, knowledge is dehat. It, it means having ability and understanding. So what are the day and night telling us the psalmist here David is personifying he's giving characteristics to the heavens that belong to people David's going to personify day and night and he's showing us their far-reaching effect let's look at verse 3 and then I'll wrap the lesson in verse 3 here there's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard so the night's darkness isn't speaking Spanish to us and the daytime isn't giving us Swahili that we have to interpret that's not what's happening and yet verse 4 their report their voice what they're saying goes throughout the whole earth look at it 
It goes throughout the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. I'll talk about the sun in a minute. What are they saying? Well, here's what they're saying. There's day and there's night. What happens for most of us? Now, some of you work third shift, but what happens for most of us at nighttime? We sleep. I know some of you parents of young babies are going, I'd like to talk with you about that after service, Pastor. I can't say that and be honest, right? But we're reminded that the cycle of day and night puts us to bed. Even if you work third shift, you got to sleep sometime. These bodies have to sleep. Some of you parents of smallest of our smallest Grace Covenant uh, family members may think you, you can get by with having no slumber of, or sleep, but there's only one that never slumbers or sleeps, and it's God. And God uses day and night the cycle to remind the world that he's in charge. He set all this in motion. There's a great quote about sleep nestled in a book on humility. Listen to this. The fact is that God could have created us without a need for sleep. But he built us this way, and there's a spiritual purpose for it. Each night as I confront my need again for sleep, I'm reminded that I am dependent on God. As much as we like to think we're in charge of us and we call all the shots, at some point the eyes close and we fade. Some of you are doing it now. I'm praying for you. I see you. I see you. At some point, we, we just fade out, right? We just go, I'm sorry, I can't listen anymore. I've got to get a nap or something. There's only one who is self-sustaining, self-sufficient, and it's not us. It's God. Day and night reminds us of that. It covers the whole earth to communicate that line. And then I love the way he paints the picture of the sun in verses 5 and 6. He uses that picture of a bridegroom leaving his chamber like a strong man running its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Let's just take a moment and reflect. All of this points to God. When's the last time that you got your head, watch this, into the clouds a little bit? We say sometimes to young people daydreaming, get your head out of the clouds. No, I'm saying when's the last time you got your head into the clouds a little bit and just had your breath taken away at the beauty and splendor of what God has made. Psalm 50 verse 6 tells us the heavens declare his righteousness. Uh Uh-oh. So it's not just that there's a God, but there's a God who's right and that he is judge. The New Testament takes it a step further and says, in fact, that the heavens and creation speak so loudly that it actually takes away man's excuse of saying, there's no God, there's no ruler, there's no creator. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them. The them are those who are trying to rule their own lives, their own way, and basically saying, whatever God said he's for, I'm against. Because there is no God. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things which have been made. So they, that's humanity, that would claim not to know God, are without excuse. By taking a long and thoughtful look at all that God has created, 
people have always been able to see his eternal power on display. J.B. Phillips uses this phrase, I love it, in his paraphrase. He says, there without a rag of an excuse. Creation is crying out to us. And here's the message that sweeping speech is making. You ready? It's saying, behold. Look at the world. Look at creation. Stop and think about what you see. And glorify the Creator. The principle here that I told you I would unpack, this general theological term, is a term of general revelation. Now, now what does general revelation mean? It, It means that God has revealed His character and works indiscriminately through the created order. There's an order to what we see, day and night. Well, that just didn't happen, right? That couldn't, there's no explanation that makes that work outside of intelligent design. So day and night, since mankind was made in the image of God, mankind is capable of seeing him at work in the order of the universe. This is the principle known as general revelation. God has revealed that there is a God to all of creation through creation. Remarkable. Now, David's about to switch gears on us and move to the Word of God, and we call that, here's a bonus term for you. Anybody want to guess? Just guess out loud. Act like it's not on the screen. I'm kidding. We did this at Camp Right. I'm not going to give you any hints. I just want to see how smart you are. If the first one was general revelation, and we talk about God's Word, all the young people in the room, everybody in uh, elementary, middle, and high school, tell me what the next kind of revelation is. Ready? One, two, three brightest kids in the world. I'm telling you, they're tracking like that. Special revelation is where God chooses to specially reveal his plan to mankind, and he does it through his word. Big theological principles here this morning at at work in this little psalm. When we behold the wonder of creation in all of its splendor, when we gaze at the heavens, whether we're seeing the low-hanging clouds in Montreat on a hike or we're looking at those images through the James Webb Space Telescope, we are seeing the signature of our Creator Himself. But then God is a speaking God, and He spoke, and He speaks through the Scriptures. And that's where David heads next. The second header this morning for the text, verses 7 through 11, really talk about the Scriptures the scriptures. Mark read those for us. Um, we've got a new distinction for Brother Mark. It's, it's now Pastor Deacon Mark. He was introduced that way yesterday. It was funny. I told the guy I introduced him, I said, he's not a pastor. He's one of our deacons, but you don't have to say any of that. What did the guy hear as he walked away? Pastor Deacon. Here's Pastor Deacon Mark. So I've, we've been calling him P.D. Mark uh, since then. He welcomes that new moniker. Just kidding. Okay, <clears throat> I'll pay for that later. Trust me. Allow me to speak in generic terms. Now, I recognize as you're looking at this and as you go back and study these verses, you will see that the law is mentioned, the testimony is mentioned, the precepts, the commandment. These are all nuances of ways of looking at what Scripture is. I'm going to use the general term, if you don't mind, the Word. And we're just going to wrap them all into that, okay? Because I'd like to get home at a a decent hour. So we're not going to parse every little hair here. But I want to say this. I'm fairly confident that most of us in this building this morning, by just being present, would affirm that this is the Word of God. And for those who are struggling to affirm that, I want to thank you for coming this Sunday, or maybe week after week, 
and submitting to the teaching of God's word respectfully and hearing it presented and letting me like preach so that you know that I believe that it is and there's a number of us that do. Thank you for your respectfulness and attention this morning. But this is the revealed word of God. For all of the haters and all of the uh, modern day TikTok haters that are trying to dismantle it, they're failing. There is no new argument. It's all been ratified. It's all been all the dis disputations that have tried to happen before. They've all been answered. This is God's revealed word. And we're so grateful to have it in a language we can understand. But, but the psalmist here takes it a little bit further and says, here's some of the things that the Bible is, God's word is. God's word is perfect. The word that's used there means it is whole and complete. God's word is sure. It's trustworthy and clear. Let me put these up for you in bullets so you can track. Since we've seen the text, follow along in your Bibles, and let me just put the bullets up to try to help you see that. So it's perfect, it's sure, that means trustworthy and clear. It's right, in verse eight, the Bible says it is right. The precepts of the Lord are right, they're correct. We believe the Bible is without any mixture of error. It's pure. Does anybody remember the ads for uh, when you had ring around the collar? Was it whisk? Was that what it was that you would use to get it out? I always think of a kitchen tool for that. But there you go. So you'd use this thing. It said, oh, no. Somebody would see the husband's shirt. and Oh, no, right, because he had a ring around the collar. And Let me see that. They'd go wash it in this thing and get it sparkling clean. That's the picture, pure. Radiant, sparkling clean is the word. Verse 9, true and righteous. It's faithful. It's firm. It's settled. And because this is what God's word is, is, here are just a few of the things the psalmist mentioned that God's word does. Same passage of scripture. It said the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It revives. It brings back to life something that was dead. It brings back to life something that looks like it's gone. David would say this later. He would say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now, am I the only person in the room that sometimes has some weeks where I don't feel all that fantastic, amazing, wonderful, amazing, hey, happy to be here, hey, right? Is that just me? Now, Christianity's not about feeling, but, but the, the further I get away from this Bible, if I become transactional with this Bible, yep, let me do my reading because I've got a 10, okay, the more I do that, the less time I spend in the Word, the more I need to be revived. The more I need to be revived. It makes wise, the Bible says. The precepts, or the testimony makes wise. It brings joy to the heart. Anybody in need of joy? I'm not talking like a shot of B12, but anybody needs some joy restored in their life? Doesn't the world try to just rob us and strip us of joy? Sometimes our own lives do that, our own decisions. It brings joy. God's word brings joy. Hey, and uh, spoiler alert, David's talking about the Old Testament here. He's not even talking about all the cool stuff we had in the New Testament. It brings joy to the heart, God's word does. It enlightens us. When we need to see things clearly, God's word brings clarity to what we need to see. 
It, it brings about the fear of the Lord, which the Bible teaches us leads to understanding. Proverbs is clear on that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this knowledge and wisdom endure forever because God's word is forever settled in heaven. So when you read God's word, you are on the pathway to revival. When you spend time in the word of God, you are heading toward revival. That means you're not going to look the way you looked before. That's a good thing. When you read God's word, you are on the pathway to wisdom and joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. You're on the way to enlightenment. You're on the way to an enduring reverence for God. You can't really dive into the Word and it not dive into you and you leave the same. It just doesn't work that way. Why? Because the Holy Spirit for us in the New Testament, the Bible teaches us, comes alongside us and opens it up to us. Grace Covenant families heard this illustration too many times. I apologize, but for those of you that haven't, Anne Graham Lotz, great Bible study leader, says every time she gets to her Bible to read, she pulls up an extra chair beside of her and leaves it empty, not to be hokey about it, but to remind her that she needs the Holy Spirit there to help her understand. I bet all of us in here knew some of the things that were listed above. Most of us in here knew God's word is powerful. But, but if you're looking and, and searching and seeking for joy and, and you need enlightenment, don't run to the world first. Run to the word first. Theologian James Johnston tells the story of when his mother was a senior at Wheaton College. She was taking a Christian education in the family class under the direction of Dr. Lois Labar. On the last day of class, Dr. Labar asked all of the students this question. How many of you think your parents follow the principles that we've covered in this class in your family? His mother raised his hand. She raised it rather quickly. And, and she thought her parents had followed what she had learned in class. And she expected most of the other students to do the same. In a room of 40 students, only one other person raised their hand. She just couldn't get over that. Long train ride home. She goes back to Brooklyn from Chicago for Christmas. She found some time alone with her dad, and she asked him the question, Dad, you never made it out of the, or you never made it past the eighth grade in your schooling. How did you learn all of these principles of Christian parenting that I'm only just learning as a senior in college? The dad was seated in his favorite chair, and she's right there asking him the question. And she asked him the question, the dad smiles at her, Reaches over right beside of his chair, picks up his Bible, looks at it, looks at her, smiles, looks at it again, puts it down. You see, when God's Word is central in our lives and in our families, it impacts us. It changes the way we live life. She knew what he meant. She knew the place God's Word had in her life. He didn't take that course. He became wise. By getting in the Word, so the Word could get into him. David reminds us of the impact of God's Word and where it impacts. It impacts the soul in that passage we just read. It impacts the simple. It impacts the heart. It impacts the eyes. Maybe you need to stop praying for God to move on something in your life or move this out of the way or that out of the way. You just need to spend time in God's Word so that you can get on the pathway to revival and joy and enlightenment 
and a changed heart. Don't hear me wrong, church, this morning. I, I need revival this morning. I need wisdom this morning. I need the joy of the Lord this morning. I need enlightenment this morning. But if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, I will settle for, for those little things as, as points on my path of growth and discipleship. And I'll think, okay, if I get revival, I'll have it. That's all I need. I just need revival. Oh, if I get joy, that's it. I'm good. I'm done. No, no, no. I've got to remember that the word of God is designed to point me to the God of the word. It's a living relationship with the Lord. That's what I need more than anything, that the lover of my soul would rule and reign in my life in every square inch. Let's look back at the text this morning when God's word works on me from the inside out. Verse 10 tells us how we start thinking about this book. More to be desired are they, all of those principles, all those things from God's word, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. When David was exposed and changed by God and his word, exposed to God and changed by God and his word, it changed his desires. He wasn't just a, a follower of the Lord. He wasn't just somebody walking with God and still did all the things he wanted to do and still did all the desires and took him Now, David didn't deny himself pleasures. He still had a lot of things that he enjoyed in life, but it changed his passions. When David was exposed to God's word, the word wooed him away from possessions as being the central accomplishment of his life, and it wooed him away from pleasures and experiences as being the end-all, be-all. Boy, that really pushes back on the American ideology, even what's in the American church to a large degree. Get all you can get and live every second of every day because YOLO. I got news for you. YOLO ain't in the book. This life is a staging ground for eternity. When we love God, when God changes us from sinner to saint, when God transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light, when we come by way of the cross to a bloodied Nazarene on the other side of the globe with arms outstretched saying, I did this because your sins demanded a sacrifice. When we follow him taken off the cross because he was dead to the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and visit that on the third day and see that up from the grave he arose and we recognize we have a risen king and savior. We see him as high and holy and us as sinners in need of a savior. When we have our lives changed by God, it changes how we view the Bible. We love this thing more than money. It becomes the greatest treasure in our lives. We love it more because it's better than fine tasting food. It's, it's better than the best smelling perfume. It's, it's the most uh, fashionable clothes can't compete with the treasures of God's word the fastest cars no the best new songs no the latest and greatest that technology and gadgets and trinkets have to offer no 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 the Bible is better 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 because it's God's word if I had a voice I'd be hollering right there you ought to say amen that's good is that how you view scripture if not it's a relationship issue between you and the author not the text and I've got encouragement for you this morning. God wants to change you from the inside out. Well, let me hasten on 
as we uh, give our time to the remaining text this morning. Verse 11 tells us that the Bible warns the servant. It keeps, and in keeping the word of God, there's great reward. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We, we ask God to make his way known to us and he makes his way known to us through his word, praise God. If you know God, his word will be your treasure and your delight. If you'll allow me to touch verses 12 and 13 before I get to the devotional text of 14. 14 is the application, doesn't take long, but I can't just skip stuff, right? This is Grace Covenant. I didn't skip my jacket this morning either. Thank you for your patience. Left it at home, grabbed some things I needed to bring for a meeting, forgot my jacket. Thank you, you've all been very kind. I'll wear two next Sunday. I will not, I will not, okay? Verses 12 and 13, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Can I ask you a quick question? I don't want to tarry here too long, but are you ever reading a psalm or you're reading a passage of scripture and you're just kind of feeling it? You're in a zone. You're like, yes, oh, yes, Lord. And then you hit two verses like this and you go, (laughs) what? Where is that? What are you talking about? Keep back, oh, he's confessing his sin. Actually, in the original language, there's not confession here. He's not actually asking for forgiveness. It's kind of audacious what he's saying. He's saying, I, 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 I'm innocent. Pro- prove that I'm innocent. Wait, what? Eh? G- give me just, just a moment because I, w- I don't want you to ever stop and shut down when you hit a tough text. Do a little reading. Read the, read the cross-references. Read the notes. Call one of your elders, call your Sunday school teacher, call somebody that, that loves the book, though. Call somebody that loves the book, okay? Don't just call anybody. Don't call 911 and ask them. It doesn't work. Um, there are predominantly two views of this text. Good news, they're both about Jesus. So David here is either prophetically pointing to Christ because we know that only Christ had no errors in his judgment. Only Christ lived innocent of even the tiniest of sins. Only Christ was kept back completely from big sins. Only Christ was always and completely free from the dominion of sin in any way. Only Christ was completely blameless. Only Christ was completely innocent. Amen? Yeah, I know your mama's awesome, your grandma was amazing, but only Christ was perfect, right? So so David here prophetically could be saying something like this, Lord, as I ponder your creation, as as your word impacts me, as I meditate on the Messiah, I I, want to give you acceptable worship. We'll see that come in verse 14. So it could be that David is, is prophesying and inserting Christ into this. That's a popular view. The other view goes like this, Lord, my only shot at loving your creation and acknowledging you as creator And my only shot at reading your word and loving your word is if Jesus can make me clean. It's if you will do a work in me. Lord, my only shot at being declared innocent from hidden sins, my only chance at sin not ruling in my life, my only hope of not standing blamed uh, in your sight is if you remake me from the inside out. When you change my heart, it will change my mouth. Why do I lean to this one? Because look at the very end of 14. It's not on the screen, but look at the very end of the text. Because then he says, my rock and my redeemer. He knows he's in need of a redeemer. Here's the good news. Whichever view you look at, they both point to Jesus. And the need that we have for Jesus. You and I need Jesus this morning. 
Dr. Hall, standing up here, one of the founding elders of Grace Covenant Church, walked with God, given many a talk, led many people to Jesus, been a faithful witness through the years. He needs Jesus this Sunday morning, just like you and I need Jesus. We have a need for God to be at work in our lives. We have a need for the name of Jesus to be on our lips. Thank you for your patience. Let's hasten to this final application here. Verse 3, what's the result of pondering creation and the skies speaking and the scriptures speaking? Well, it changes our souls. Our souls are changed by the word of God. Look with me at verse 14. I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me together. It's on the screen. Would you do that? Let's read it out loud together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hallelujah. What a verse. We've said that before. You've prayed that before. Uh, if, you, if you're studying to be an employee in, in the United States at at many a job, you, you want to find out what's acceptable. Like, what do I have to do for this job to be done, right? So when we see acceptable, we're thinking, yeah, Lord, yeah, I don't want to be unacceptable. So just, but the, the picture here is not of somebody just kind of barely making a C, <laughs> you know, just kind of average here. The picture here is of God remaking us from within. Hear me, church. As loud as creation is, apart from God's word, its voice will fall on deaf ears. We can see the power of God by looking at the universe He's created, but we can only know and experience the God of creation as we personally encounter Him through His Word. God changes lives through His Word. Revelation is not just information. It's designed for transformation. David knows full well that when God's word takes a hold of him and takes a hold of anyone, it's going to change their hearts. Their hearts are going to beat differently. No longer consumed with the things of this world that will grow strangely dim. Colossians 3 says, because we've been raised with Christ, we are seeking the things which are above we are setting our minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. Not only does it impact our hearts, but we know from Scripture that out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. Ah, we're talking about speech this morning. When God really gets a hold of our lives, it affects the way we speak to God. Hebrews tells us that our lips will give a sacrifice of praise. Wow. Us, sinful Humanity can give God worship that's acceptable. Wow. When our hearts get changed, it'll affect our speech to others as well. Ephesians, Paul tells us very, I mean very bluntly, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's no profanity, no crass, unwholesome words. Well, does this really qualify? If you've got to ask, don't say it. We saw vulgarity on display yesterday. We see where that path leads. We see the tools of the enemy. It is unwholesome, divisive, crass, profane speech. That didn't come from God. Use our gift of speech only for that which is for building up and fits the occasion. Let's give grace to everyone who hears us. Wow. What's the big deal? What's the big deal with the heart and the mouth? 
Julia, you can come on to the instruments. I'll ask the singers to make their way up as well. We're about to have a moment of prayer and then we'll close. What's the connection here? What's the big deal? Why would David in the Old Testament in a psalm close and say, Lord, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be accepted? Why would he do that? Paul tells us in Romans 10 how just important that order is. Listen, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. When God changes us, our hearts and our lips breathe out things that are acceptable. Unchanged, our mouths are rotten, and our hearts are reprehensible. That's our condition. If that's your condition this morning, I'm asking you, to let the heavens talk to you today. Let the skies with a sweeping voice point you to the Creator. Let the Word of God speak with a specific voice right to you this morning. And let the saints who worship Jesus and show you with our changed lives, not only is God real, He's alive and He's working in the hearts of those who will get into the Word so the Word can get into them. Saint, if you've set your goal spiritually as one of those little marks, I've got to get to this, I've got to get that. It's good to have goals, but make sure you remember the purpose of the Word of God is to have a living relationship with the God of the Word. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. Your word is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. More to be desired than the best this world has to offer. We bless you this morning. We worship you this morning. We love you this morning. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen.